Welcome to Hidden Gems Toronto, the podcast that introduces you to a variety of fascinating people and places that fly under the radar but are a vital part of our city's fabric. I'm your host, urban geographer Tom Scanlon, and I invite you to don your virtual hiking boots and join us as we track down these compelling stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second segment of our series called You Do What for a Living, where we interview people who have interesting, if somewhat unusual, occupations. And our guest today certainly fits the bill. We hope you enjoy it. I use that clock all the time. Yeah. It wakes me up in the morning, too, because you can hear the six o'clock chime. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful building. I grew up in here, and uh, it's always been a, a staple of anybody who lives in Toronto. The first thing you notice, really, is very prominent, and I love the history. The building itself is beautiful and nice. Yeah, I love the building. I love it. The voices you just heard are people we interviewed who were passing by the old City Hall Tower clock. This clock obviously holds a special place in the hearts of both Torontonians and tourists alike. And while it's interesting from the outside, in this podcast, we interview the guy who sees this magnificent structure from the inside. Affectionately known as the clock guy, John Scott helps keep Toronto ticking. Whether it's the old City Hall Tower clock, the Toronto Island Fire Station, or the Union Station Great Hall clock, you can thank John for keeping them running smoothly and on time. And if you think changing the odd clock in your home for daylight savings time is a chore, well, wait until you hear the challenges he faces in moving these masterpieces forward or backward twice a year. In this interview, John gives us a masterclass on how these clocks work, and you will be left with a whole new appreciation of this scientific wonder known as the tower clock. Good morning, John, and welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Tom, and thank you for having me. And it's actually actually my pleasure to be here. Oh, that's nice of you to say. You know, we consider you a hidden gem, but it's possible our listeners might have heard of you because, John, let's face it, you're kind of a star in the business. I mean, you've been profiled in the Globe and Mail, the Star, Global TV. Are people stopping you on the street asking for a selfie? Has it got that far, John? <laughs> no, my face doesn't ring a bell. Put it that way. Ah, okay. Good line. Yeah. Okay. I know some people call you the clock guy, though. Is that right? Oh, that's the easiest. They don't remember my name, but if I walk into a fire station or anything, I'll I'll just say, I'm the clock guy. <laughs> and then I'll hear them announce it over the PA system. The clock guy's in the station. <laughs> so. When you tell your friends what you do for a living or someone you just met, what's their typical reaction? What do people ask you? They're actually fascinated because they've never heard or thought about that occupation. Well, I mean, that's part of our fascination too. It's very unique and it's a niche, we'll say, that's not commonly thought of. Well, that's a good starting spot, Jack. On your company website, your skills include being both a campanologist and horologist. What do those terms actually mean? Well, first, I would like to differentiate horologist and tower clock horologist. Okay. They've actually begun to train them differently. It used to always be just a horologist, but that could be anything from a wristwatch to a mantle clock to mostly residential. When tower clocks became an entity, we'll say, 
it's a different technique altogether because I can't take the clock out of the tower and bring it back to the shop to study it. Mm. The diagnostic techniques vary drastically. So you have to be able to look at a situation, diagnose it, try something, and then leave it. And hopefully it corrects it. If it doesn't, then you have to make another trip back and you get better at it. I compare it to almost like triage. Good analogy. And you need to be able to categorize things and put a priority on certain objects, we'll say. What, what's the campanologist side of things? Campanologist is the bells. A lot of times a bell is associated with a tower clock. And when I first started my apprenticeship, it was campanology more than tower clocks. But my uncle and I, we were starting to work on more bells that were associated with a tower clock. So the tower clock was a natural progression and and incorporation in our work. And are there many people out there doing what you do? Well, that's a difficult question to answer because I believe that there are a lot of people that think that they can. But sorry to say, I don't want to really get into that aspect, but I followed the trail we'll say. And in the end, I I kind of see what has been done, but I like to ask, has anyone else worked Uh on this? Because a lot of times they've done something that is not really the initial issue. And then I have to correct what they did and then try to correct the initial issue also. Sounds like a house renovation where someone comes in and goes, well, they didn't quite do it the right way. Yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned your uncle. So take us back. Was that 36 odd years ago? How did this all come about for you? Yeah, 36 odd, we'll say. So I'll I'll have to go way back because I can remember my uncle visiting and I think he had his eye on me because I was a bit of a tinker and I would like to take apart things and see how they ticked, if you'll forgive the pun. And I think he noticed this. One of my earliest projects, and I think I was still in elementary school. My mother was throwing out an old washing machine, and it had a timer, electric, of course. I figured that I'd take that timer out of it and hook it up to my radio, and it would be my shutoff for the radio where I'd activate the timer. Oh, oh God. (laughs) And it would play the radio while I was going to sleep and then shut off. Just you in elementary school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, late elementary school. I mounted speakers on the wall on either side of my bed. They were out of a vehicle, the speakers, so they they looked like triangles mounted on the wall facing in. And I I mounted this timer in an old uh, wooden orange crate. And I I put the timer in there and had all the wiring and the radio on top of that. Uncle Art came to visit one day and my father asked him, can you go upstairs and check out that contraption that John has on his wall beside his bed and make sure it's not going to burn the house down? Everyone was afraid to touch it because I had open wires all over the place. Anyway, he went up and kind of looked it over and he said, well, everything looks pretty good. It's not bad, but I don't think I'd mount it in a wooden box. You should have it in metal. He saw his protege. <laughs> oh, yeah. So did he teach you this whole thing or did you learn it together? Did you go to school? or you, You've touched on a whole bunch of subjects there. Yes, he was my mentor and my co-worker. I, I worked for him, basically. And, and the only weak part of my apprenticeship was the electrical and electronic. I had a great deal of mechanical experience. And I had a great deal of musical experience, which were two of the prerequisites. Electrical and electronics was the third. 
when I started my apprenticeship with him, he attempted to get a course for me. And as soon as he said that it was for campanology and well, horology wasn't really in the picture at that time. All the institutions were kind of scratching their head and going, we, we don't have anything in, right. in that line of work. It's not even listed in Employment Canada. <laughs> so they were very nice about it. And they created a category, the electronic courses, which I did and brought that up to speed. After that, it was lots of site experience. I lived with my uncle at the time, and I figured it was more intense than medical school because every time I saw him, we would be talking bells. You know, you said an interesting skill that you already had that was necessary, and that's music. Why is that important when you're f fixing or working on a tower clock other than the sound of the bells? Well, yeah, it's sound. It's all sound. Music is uh, a great advantage to be able to talk with organists in churches ah, okay. because the, the bell systems was associated usually with the organist. So you have to be able to talk a little bit of music theory. Oh, I see. And the sound aspect of it, I played brass instruments. We had a building on a lake during the summer and I used to stand on the screened porch and play the horn out the screen and it would echo around the lake. Oh, I'm sure the neighbors loved well, it. Well, actually they did compliment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They asked who was the horn player and it would be in the evening when the sun was setting. They kind of liked it. So John, what are some of the more noteworthy tower clocks that you've uh, worked on? Well, I think that the largest and just one of my favorites, okay, is Old City Hall, ah. downtown Toronto. That's almost fully mechanical. The only electric part is the rewind of the counterweights. There is evidence that someone did have to go up there at one time and rewind, just like you would rewind a giant grandfather clock by cranking on a handle. But it was updated at some time, and I believe it was in the 70s when that was done. So that's one of your favorites. Are they all kind of the same, or are they each a bit unique? Everyone is unique. Okay. Wow. They have similarities, but every installation is, is unique that I've seen. There's no oh. two the same. So let me try this. Let's say it's career day at an elementary school and they brought you in and an inquisitive kid asks you, how does a tower clock work? Can you explain it in a simple fashion that someone like an elementary school or me would understand? Well, I'd have to differentiate, first of all, what type of clock. If you're talking mechanical with a pendulum, then that's a different explanation. Okay. Well, how, how do they work? Mainly it's gravity and it's a, it's a beautiful piece of engineering that never ceases to amaze me. Even the counterweights are what drives it, creates the force being able to move the hands. Everything hopefully is well balanced. I compare it to the rotisserie on your barbecue. If you, if you don't have it balanced, the motor burns out. And I've, even me, ah. I've burned out my fair share in the past. If everything is perfectly balanced and in the right positions, then it's just the gravity of the counterweight that moves things and the escape regulates that, the speed of it. What is the escapement? What does that mean? The escapement is your tick, okay. tock, tick, tock. Now, one of the most amazing things is that you've got these two horizontal bars on a certain type of escapement, we'll say, that are tapping on either side of this heavy pendulum as it goes tick, tock, tick. Now, those little tiny taps are actually what keeps the pendulum going. Ah. And the pendulum can be 200 pounds. Wow. 
And just these little pencil-sized horizontal bars are tapping way up top on the pendulum shaft, and it keeps the whole system going. I just look at that, and I go, wow, it's such a beautiful invention. When you think of the time period that they were made, you marvel at it the same way a kid today looks at their cell phone and goes, wow, that's amazing what it's doing. Exactly. You do, eh? I do. I just, well, I don't literally drool, but, but I, uh, I get a smile on my face oh, and wow. I feel, I feel good inside. Wow. Yeah. By the way, you'd make a good teacher. That was a great explanation. So thank you for that. Well, um, thank you. I, I imagine like daylight savings time is a busy time for Mr. Scott. Oh yeah. How many clocks do you have to move forward or back? I think there's uh, 12 in the golden horseshoe. Oh, wow. Yeah. You get, you get to all 12. Yes, but not at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, I have I have noticed some clocks take a few days, right, to catch up? I have to spread it out just because of travel time. I don't have these magic transporters or anything, okay. but, but those are the mechanical ones that actually need physical assistance to change time. So is there a difference between moving a clock an hour forward and an hour back? Is it just all the same? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. What's the difference? Well, uh, the clock's moving forward. I can disengage or they might have a setting that will actually speed them up. I can disengage and move the hands forward. Okay. okay? Some of them in the fall, I can still disengage the hands, but many of them have like a ratchet that won't allow the backward movement. Ah, okay. And which is very bad anyway. I, I tend not to move clocks backward ever try to. Oh, you just sit and wait the hour? Yes. I stop the clock, wait at least an hour, and then activate it and move it forward up to actual time. Or if I'm if I'm right there at the right time, I'll just activate it right on the hour that I've stopped it. I see. So you could be more than an hour because once you get there, you can move it forward. It's it's, it's easier to move yeah, them yeah, forward. Okay. Yes, yes. Huh. And plus, there's a lot of things that can be done during that stoppage. I'll say, for example, Old City Hall, there's a counterweight pit below the movement. And normally, if the clock is moving, I don't like to go in there. But if it's stopped, it's safe. All right. What's not safe about going in there? Just so many moving parts? Well, you never know what might happen if you're in there. These counterweights are, oh, they'd be 300 pounds. And if I'm playing around in there and the clock is actually still active, things can happen. It can rewind unexpectedly. It can, well, they move every 15 minutes for sure at Old City Hall just for the quarter chime and on the hour and the movement, there's three separate counterweights, we'll say. So I just don't like, it's not safe. I I always think safety first. I'm trying to picture what tools you need. I mean, you go up, I don't know how many steps to get to the top of the old city hall. What do you bring? God forbid you get up there and you go, oh my God, I didn't bring my (laughs) Robertson. Not that screwdriver. That's that was learned early in my apprenticeship. <laughs> Don't want to forget a tool. Give us a picture of like what tools are involved here. Well, that varies also, Tom. I've I've got some pretty unique ones that I inherited. And my uncle Art, he loved it was like a candy shop when you get into the <laughs> tool stores and he has a couple. Well, he had a couple. I have them now, but I've never seen them anywhere since. Really? <laughs> yeah. And when you think about this one, and it's probably one of my favorites, is an adjustable box wrench. Okay. Tell me how that operates. <laughs> well, you know an adjustable spanner. I do. That's an open end. Yes. Okay. Well, usually on a fixed wrench, you'll have an open end on one end of it, 
like take for instance just a nine sixteenths open end on one end and then a nine sixteenths box wrench which is a circle on the other end of the wrench you're probably familiar I with am. those yeah well the box end i have an adjustable oh wow that is an adjustable box that'll enlarge enlarge and go small for different size nuts i've never seen that yes yeah i've never seen any other one and i haven't since but i still have it in my tool collection I heard you mention that one of your favorite clocks is on Center Island, yes. famous fire station tower clock, and you actually take a ferry and you bike there. So can you carry all those tools just on your back? Is it that manageable? Or It's not a lot of tools. I, I fine-tuned it down to something manageable. Okay. I will take a backpack and I'll throw the common tools that I know will work on any component in that clock. There was a major overhaul at one time. And I still had my bike. I, I researched this to price out the job. And to take a vehicle over there is kind of out of the question almost. And you have to book a month in advance, et cetera, et cetera. So I purchased a little wagon that you pull behind, like a kid's uh, tent wagon kind of thing. Yeah. That I pull behind my bike and I put all the components in that one. <laughs> oh my, no, there's a video, John. That's fantastic. And I, I went over on the ferry with my bike and I carted it to the site that way. Okay, let me, let me try a nightmare scenario. You're working on a clock and you have that beautiful wrench of yours and you drop it into the mechanism. Is this potential disaster? Does that ever happen? Yes and no. It's nothing that's moving fast. Okay. All the gearing are moving very slowly. So unless I didn't notice it, there's usually lots of time to get it back out safely. And the, and the wrench that I have is too big for escapements. The escapements are still a, not really a jeweler's type size screwdriver, but it's smaller tools, we'll say. So they won't do any damage. So some of these clocks, they're more than 100 years old, right? Have we reached the best before date? I mean, can these keep on going if we keep repairing them? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Most definitely. The old City Hall movement, it's been going since 1899, December 31st, I believe it was activated to bring in the new year. And it has been constantly in motion. It's a kinetic work of art wow. since that time. And it's only been stopped for service or daylight saving. Otherwise, it's been constantly moving. And with proper maintenance, it'll go for, well, indefinitely. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing. I don't know if people realize when they go buy one, they look at the tower clock. At least I always do when I'm at City Hall and I check my watch. It seems to be pretty accurate. How accurate is the old City Hall clock? I've got it down to about, well, it, it's a minimum visit of once a month. Oh, that much? For maintenance, okay? Okay. It used to be when we first started the contract, it was three visits a month. It took quite a bit of regulating, cleaning, lubes in the right spots. And now, recently, I'll say, it is probably maybe five, six seconds a month it might go out now. That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, for a 20-foot diameter dial. But if you weren't going for these frequent visits, I guess it would be off. Well, it's, it's a moving part. It's not like an automobile. I imagine like back in the days of the invention of the automobile, it took quite a bit of maintenance. They actually had a timing lever where you could change the timing of the engine. So it was trial and error, a lot of it. This one, it's a moving part. If you want it to continue, then it does require inspection at least. I could leave it, but yeah, who knows? 
What about things like dirt and dust? Does that pose a problem? Yes. You can do certain builds, we'll say, mm-hmm. to protect those components. The whole movement is inside of a glass case, a room, we'll say, a whole glass room. The movement is behind the dials. It's in that area. Okay. But that that room is about 25 by 25 by 25. It's like a cube in there. The dials are 20 foot diameter, but the movement itself is also in a wood and glass room within that room. So it's it's protected. You know, John, I'm trying to picture you up there. And I think a lot of people, they might feel kind of eerie. They're way up above and they're in this room and this machine's going. But from hearing you talk, do you actually feel peaceful up there? Like this is this is your happy place kind of thing? You, you took the words right out of my mouth, Tom. It's very peaceful to me. I go up there and forgive the pun also, but time flies. <laughs> it does. I'll I'll be up there and I'll be working. And within my mind, it feels like I've only been up there 45 minutes, but I'll look at my cell phone and I've actually been there for three hours. I just go into a peaceful place, we'll say. And personally, I think it might relate back to childhood, the heartbeat. The TikTok. Yeah, like. Don't they put clocks in with puppies and babies and things, the tick-tock? It's soothing. Plus, I listen to it as a diagnostic technique, too. (laughs) You're you're the doctor. Yes, I'm listening to the heartbeat, and I I can hear things. So do you have an apprentice, John? Is there there someone ready to take over? I'm working on that. You are, eh? I'm working on that aspect, yes. And it's not easy to find one these days. You can't find a kid that's working a thick in the washing machine and... (laughs) <laughs> making the timer work on his radio. Well, maybe. Well, yeah, I, I don't ask questions like that when I meet <laughs> someone. <laughs> Take apart washing machines? No, but I, I am keeping my eyes open. It's still a work in progress. It's a little bit different than my apprenticeship because a lot of the newer systems have computer involved. That was my next question. I mean, I guess I know some of your work involves, you try to keep the face of the tower clock as is, but you're changing the insides to a more modern mechanism, right? That's, yes. That's the future, you think? Yes, it can be. If it gets to the point where repair and maintenance becomes outrageous or non-feasible, then we recommend an update. However, we don't destroy anything. I've been in too many clock towers where it's been Uh, cannibalized, and it's a shame. I almost cry. There's no going back. No, you you can't go back. Like, there's gearing missing, the pendulum's missing. There's way too many things people are taking for their walls in their rec room or something. I don't know what happens to them. I'm only assuming there. But it, it breaks my heart to see things that have been dismantled and not remained on the site. If we perform an updating, we disengage components to incorporate a new drive and label components and store them right in the clock tower. Ah, you don't even move them out. No, no, no. Well, if they need to be cleaned, yes, we'd move them out. But we always bring them back and they're stored right on the site with a label. And anyone with a half experience will say in the future could put it back together. Clever. Wow. Well, it's just the way to do it. I think, because someone in 100 years, 200 years, whatever, might come across that and say, why don't we get this going again? We we have this 3D printer that'll make this up. and Let's get the band back together. Yeah. Let's... Who knows what the technology will be in that year? That's pretty cool. So the final question I want to ask you, John, is do you wear a watch? 
No, no, I don't. You don't? I don't wear a watch. Ah. I just use the cell phone. I try not to wear things because I used to wear a watch, like before cell phones. Yeah, I had a watch all the time, but it would get damaged always. Just uh, the crystals would go through a beating. And I I was replacing too many. I don't wear rings because, I don't know, I'm just that way. You must be fun for you to drive all over southern Ontario and see a clock that you you know inside. You've got a perspective that none of us have. That's really interesting. That, that's the neat thing, to be able to see what other people don't see. They see the outside. I see behind the dial. And I pick out clocks left and right. People don't notice them, but it's in my radar. If I'm driving and boom, my eyes will suddenly lock onto a clock and lots of times... They're not indicating the correct time. You would notice. And it's in a strip mall usually where they've just thrown something in. And I'm not criticizing that, but they just kind of, they like the idea. And I love the idea of having a clock, especially if it's indicating the correct time. It shows the well-being Mm -hmm. of that community or that strip mall or whatever. But if it's not on time, I kind of look at it and go, I wonder what's going on there. Somebody doesn't care, right? Yeah, stuff goes through my head. If there's a public clock, it should be indicating the correct time. And that that brings me up to another subject. What's that? Any of our new installations, I always put a GPS antenna on the system. Really? Unless it's really impossible. Uh Just because a GPS antenna will keep the clock exactly on time, just like your cell phone. Wow. Puts me out of work, but (laughs) I'm happy if it's on time and it keeps me happy that way. I mean, you've used a few puns, so I got to use one and just say I've taken up enough of your time today, John. So uh, I hope you can continue to do this as long as you can. I think our listeners will never view a tower clock quite the same after listening to you talk about what's involved in keeping them on time. You really are the clock guy. So thank you so much for being a hidden gem and for being on our podcast. Tom, I thank you too. And it's been my pleasure, as I say. I love to talk about clocks. On our next podcast, you are in for a real treat. Many of you may know that a lot of cities have a poet laureate, but what you may not know is that the city of Toronto also has a photo laureate. That is but one achievement of the very talented photographer, Nadia Kwandebenz. Nadia brings an Indigenous perspective to all her work, and as she says, the camera has become an extension of her arms. Her photo work is profound, insightful, and always tells a story. I hope you'll join us on May 1st to hear what she has to say. And if you missed our earlier podcast of You Do What for a Living? with mascot slash sculptor extraordinaire Austin Emery, you can catch it by going to our site, hiddengemstoronto.net. I think you'll really enjoy it. And finally, we are happy to report that our podcast platform, Buzzsprout, has sent us a note to say of the more than 120,000 podcasts they sponsor, we are in the top 20%. So all of you, please take a bow because you're the reason for our success. And if you want to help us even more, well, here's a mathematical fact. If each of you shares our podcast with just one listener, our listenership, are you ready for this? Will double. So if you would consider doing that, we would be most grateful. The Hidden Gems Toronto podcast is edited by Sharon Scanlon. Thanks for listening.